This is Unleashing Leadership, and I'm your host, Travis Moss, and welcome back. We spent the entire last episode setting the foundation for today's discussion on ethical fading. In Simon's word, ethical fading is the condition of a culture that allows people to act in unethical ways while falsely believing they have not breached their own ethical principles. All right, so I think that's kind of like a weed. It starts from the tiniest crack. These small, insignificant lapses that go unchecked, and it starts to fester. And it has a tendency to show up whenever we start to make numbers more important than anything else. Right? Got to hit our numbers. Got to track our numbers. Got to hit our numbers. Got to track our numbers. Numbers for the sake of numbers. Remember, some of the things we talked about, what it just causes not. It does not be the best for the sake of being the best. It's not growth for the sake of growth. It's got to be some other uh, important value there. Some of the symptoms, so this is how you know you've got some ethical fading maybe starting to happen. You start to hear, I'm just following industry standards. I'm just doing what I was told. This is how I get my bonus. Simon likes to describe it as, it's like stealing from a rich friend. And saying they can just, well, it doesn't matter. They can afford to buy another. Look, theft is always unethical. Just because you can justify it to yourself, they have more. So it's okay if I take it. They're insured. It's okay if I take it. Just because you can justify it to yourself. Um, that's the cost of doing business with me. Whatever your justification is. You do it so you don't have to feel bad. That doesn't make it right. The problem is, is once you allow yourself to use excuses like this, once you start to ignore the fact that you're doing harm to somebody else, no matter how much they can afford it, you are still doing harm to somebody else, it becomes easier to justify more. If you're selling a product that you know hurts people, but you sell it because you make money and it's their fault for buying it, you start to callous something inside of you that says that other people are not really that important. Simon goes on to explain that people doing the right thing dramatically declines in relation to the amount of pressure that's put on them. You may not agree with this personally. You might say, you know what? I'm great with dealing with pressure and sticking to what's right. In fact, I'm even more acutely aware of what's right when I have a lot of pressure on me. That's because you are trying, you are listening to podcasts like this, you are trying to be strong and a good leader. But a lot of people, this is hard. The vast majority of people are going to cave when high pressure is applied. In fact, they'll cave when a little bit of pressure is applied. It's our job as leaders to fortify them, to build them up, to show them, to lead them, to expect them, to hold them accountable to not caving to the pressure. We might be good at this, but the people who follow us need us to help them with it as well. And this makes it sound like ethical fading is just an event. It's just something that happens when pressure is high. But it's not really. I think it's more than that. You know, if it, with that explanation, it's kind of like a cut or a wound. Somebody just like, you know, it happens, you're cut, it's going to heal up, whatever. Um but it's actually more like the infection that sets in. Ethical fading is really, the wound is already there, the, the gash is open, and here comes the disease. 
That's what the ethical fading is. It's the beginning of uh, rot, basically. And strong leadership, like we just said, is the antibiotic. Strong leadership is the medicine. And when the leadership fails to act, or when the leadership fails to interject, that infection just explodes. And it creates, if you've ever seen this, you kind of know what I'm talking about. It creates kind of like a zombie worker. It's so toxic that people kind of lose their way. They're doing their thing. They may even be nice people, whatever. But they're doing these actions that just, uh, I mean, you wonder how they don't see what they're doing. And they begin to believe what they're doing is... um, it's widely accepted and therefore they don't need to justify the actions. Look at all these people that are happy that we're doing this. They're all lining up. Like what's the big deal? I'm getting rewarded. So I want to stick on widely accepted for a moment. This is a sort of self-deception that is part of ethical fading that I think is a broader societal problem. If we surround ourselves with a selected echo chamber, so we go on our phones and we program, you know, we click on articles and we program who we're following and all that kind of stuff. And we pick ones that really pretty much agree with our our view on things. And they block out any sort of counterpoints to our view. They're just nasty and, and there's vitriol for anybody who's got a competing view. Then, of course, everything in that echo chamber is going to seem widely accepted. It's all kind of self-reinforced. After all, everybody that you can see agrees with you. And the ones that don't, they're just idiots. And you'll hear absolute terms from people who talk like this. They'll say, well, everyone feels like this. No one, all, none. You know, it's it's... It's, it's an overgrouping of people. And this tells us that we just have blinders on. And normally the bl- we're willingly putting the blinders on. Sometimes with technology, we don't know what's happening. That's where leadership comes in. That's where it's our job to help open up people to more perspective. Simon discusses self-deception self, uh, as a type of ethical fading. And he talks about euthanisms with that. And this is when, and I've had people do this, that we're just so proud of their wordsmithing. But this is when wordsmithing something um, is done. And, and the goal is to make something uncomfortable or something that's really, you know, a fringe thing, something that's going overboard in a certain direction, but to make that more acceptable or to make it less threat, sound less threatening or to make it like you've seen certain situations where We'll make a, you know, politicians do this all the time. They pass a law or something and they, they name the law in a certain way that if you disagree with the law, you disagree with the, what the name implies, but the law itself has nothing to do with it. And so we use euphemisms basically to kind of hide the intent behind the action because, you know, if, if we were being honest, then more people probably aren't going to participate with it. Uh, an example that that Simon uses is enhanced interrogation instead of torture. Enhanced interrogation sounds a lot better. If I said, "Look, we're just going to torture people to find out, you know, what we need to know," nobody likes that. But if we say, "Hey, it's an enhanced interrogation," people are like, "Okay, that makes sense." Or if you say, "You know, it's a high pressure interrogation," oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, 
you know, what's the line between that and torture? And, and really they're designed to mean essentially the same thing. And I think this is something that we should dwell on for a minute. Think of any social issue and how it's labeled. So I'll give you a quick second to do that. Just think of a social issue that kind of is on the top of your mind. Now, how is it labeled? How do they explain it? How has that label kind of changed over time that makes it more acceptable and actually even makes it harder to argue with? Is there a social argue or issue that you can think of that people cannot even argue with? Because really, because of the title, like if I argue with it, I have to first get over the fact that I'm saying I'm against whatever the title of the issue is, even though that's not really the root of the issue. So what does that do? That blocks people from having conversation, right? It really it really blocks people from saying, you know, maybe maybe instead of destroying one person to build another one up, there's a better way to do this. That's kind of where ethical fading lives. You know, it's as if you're just it, when you ask the question, you become a bad person. Now imagine working someplace where you see something that just seems wrong. But you're not even allowed to bring it up because you could lose your job. So people convince themselves, if everybody else thinks this is right, all right, man, I got to get on board. Um, I need to fit in anyway. And everybody else is doing it. And everybody else is happy. And nobody else is in trouble. And, you know, look at people are being rewarded. You know, I guess I don't really need to worry about this. If it was wrong, everybody else would think it was wrong. You know, and then all of a sudden the business rewards you for doing this thing and it creates this sort of delusion. It's like, I'm being recognized. This must be a good thing. I feel good when I'm recognized. So the question is, is how do you fix this? And, you know, the obvious is you avoid it in the first place. You got to be strong. You got to stand up for what's right. You don't cave under peer pressure. You know, you realize that there's other ways to make money to be recognized or feel like you belong, whatever your thing is. People dwelling in situations that are hotbeds for ethical fading are like your bar friends. They aren't really there for you beyond the utility that you present. You're there to share their misery while they're getting drunk. You're not actually there to be a real friend. But if you do find yourself in the situation, if you haven't been able to avoid it, or maybe, you know, this is the first time you've heard it and like, okay, now what do I do? If you have the power to change things, like if you are in the leadership position and you're looking at us going, yep, that's my organization and I don't like it, doesn't sit well with me, I want to start to change it. It's your responsibility to start doing the right things, right? Easier said than done, but that's where it starts. If you don't have the power to change it, if you can't sit there and say, I'm going to change this organization that I belong to, it is in your best interest to get up and leave. Do not stay in a situation that is designed to corrupt the best parts of you in return for something superficial. And in this case, money is superficial. You are going to give up the best parts of you to make money. I can promise you if you're living in this state too, what you're doing with your money is um, not very fulfilling as far as when you look back at it 20 years from now. Whatever you gain from this situation is not going to be long-lasting. If you're in the situation and you're thinking, okay, I'm making some money doing this, and it's going to be hard to replace that, 
they've already corrupted your thinking to 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 get you to think that there's scarcity out there. There's there's um this is the only way to get there. And it's wrong. Once you figure out how to make money, you figure out that there's tons of ways to make money. Don't be afraid. There's more opportunities out there. Just think about it like this. Are you willing to give up the best parts of you just for a little bit of reward right now? Or do you really want to feel very, very good about yourself for the long term? Do you really want to feel like you've done great things, that you've set yourself up, that your your personal wealth and your personal situation is sustainable over time, that you've been a good example to everybody else, that there's no skeletons in your closet, that type of thing. That's the difference. So if you're in the situation, change it. If you can't change it, leave it.